Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 29 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a Rust Belt recruiting production. I am your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Ariane May, Director of Advancement at Ohio Guidestone. Ariane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. So let's jump in. Um, You went to school uh, in Columbus. You completed your undergraduate degree at Otterbein, and you studied fine slash studio arts um tell us about that pursuit and how that degree (laughs) yeah tell how does that work with your career today it it well i mean in some regards it it works um beautifully but uh this was not the career i intended to have i've been on quite the journey so um very long story short i i was headed to get my master's degree um, to become a professor of theater arts and theater history. I had been accepted into the new school in New York City, and I had picked up a summer job in Cleveland. And I'm going to use the Seinfeld phrase, yada, 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 here I am. Um, <laughs> um, but so needless to say, I've always had a passion for, you know, in that naive little girl brain of changing the world. So I took um, an internship. Uh, I did have a nonprofit job briefly before I I joined Ohio Guidestone, which was right around the recession period. And and so long story short, as an assistant, I was given a lot of responsibility that I would never have been given had it not been the recession. So I'm so grateful because I learned so much on-the-job training and I remember when I when I first came, and of course I was part time. You know, I had two part time jobs at that time. It was the recession, and um, I, I remember thinking, "I'll be here for a year." <laughs> yeah. So you know, over a third of my life later, I'm still here. Um, and what has kept me here is my passion for what we do, um, the services we provide, the lives that we've changed. And I have had the privilege of growing under the umbrella of the fundraising department here, which has been so rewarding in so many different ways. So, you know, looking back on my trajectory from, um, you know, graduating college to where I was headed, um, again, with that yada, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm so grateful. It worked out. I, there's no city I would rather be in right now. Well, I love we, Cleveland. Well, we want to hear the yada yada, so I'm going to keep asking you questions about it. But I mean, it is, I mean, you're, you're a, <laughs> you're in the 1%. I mean, nowadays people do not stay at the same company. I mean, I, I don't know the stat, so I don't want to throw one out there, but I would imagine that the average uh, length of tenure is five years or less. Um, and that's just a guess, but so to be somewhere for 14 plus years, and I know you mentioned your why is, is you believe in everything, but like expand on that. Like, you know, you, how is it promotions that you believe in it, the people you get to work with, like, 
talk a little bit more about that because it's it's impressive. Like you, you kudos. Aww. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think it's a healthy combination of of everything you mentioned, but I will elaborate. You know, the first and foremost is um, as a fundraiser, as a good fundraiser, <laughs> one has to believe in the cause. Um, and so I know there are certain causes out there, I won't mention them, but certain causes that I just would not be a good fit for because I, I don't have that natural passion for. Um, mental health, behavioral health, and the programs and services that fall under that giant umbrella of Ohio Guidestone, every, everything from job skill building. Um, we're working with the most under-resourced neighborhoods in, in, in the state um, to youth prevention, suicide prevention, um, juvenile justice, uh, um, uh, uh, diversion, Ugh, my wording here, um, <laughs> education, parenting, um, and, and the list goes on, domestic violence, um, uh, you know, um, God, I cannot think of wording today. This is a podcast fail. It's a, no, you can't um, fail. You can't fail. I mean, you guys do a lot. I mean, you do a ton. We do recovery housing, you know, substance use disorder programming, and the list goes on and on and on. But all at the core of it, um, and this is the conversation that has developed. It, it, you know, we've always thought over, I would say, probably the last 20 or so years, okay, we're vocal about mental health. Um, people are seeing therapists, you know, we see it on TV, it's become a thing. And um, and it's in, in breaking the stigma of, of admitting one needs help is still a major, major issue. Um, and the pandemic, the global pandemic and the health crisis has become equal if not greater, a mental health crisis. And yeah. so now the conversation is in the forefront again. Um, but at the end of the day, I see, I have seen so many lives change through our programming. We have a, a ginormous staff. Uh, that was a that was a mixture between tremendous and ginormous, ginormous <laughs> staff. Um, but we do. It's thirteen hundred staff. We serve um, over twenty eight thousand throughout the state. And, um, and, you know, we, we do exceptional work. There is a true, um, it's not just putting a bandaid on an, an issue. We really do truly provide solutions. So, so believing in the cause is number one. Um, number two, I, you know, given my work, I have been able, and, and my tenure here, I have, um, you know, built up trust, which is a beautiful thing to have in an organization to let me stretch and grow and try new things um, from a fundraising standpoint. And it, you know, and that's been really exciting and a tremendous blessing um, and something that, you know, keeps things fresh for me. Um, and then lastly, it's the people that I get to deal with. And, and, and that is, you know, anywhere from our donors, our, our donors have become like family. I, I love our donors. And I've met so many extraordinary people and our, uh, the, those that we serve, you know, um, pre-pandemic, I had a lot more interaction with our clients. You know, I, sure. I miss that tremendously. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I know that we're making a difference and, and being a part of that is really special. Um, so it's been it's been a combination of 
you know, all of that, that is, that has kept me going and, and, uh, you know, it's the passion that drives me and the, the fact that my days never look the same, which is always a beautiful thing. And, and I love being able to wake up and be like, okay, what kind of cool surprise is in store for me today? And there's usually something really awesome. So I love it. That was the long-winded answer with a lot of mumbling. Those the long-winded answers mumbling, are the ones that we like. My goodness, my words. My vocabulary today is just. What? Um, tell us more about the history of Ohio Guidestone. Like, how did it come about? And then, did was when it launched? Did it always offer the same services? How did things change over the years? That's a great question. So we are actually turning 158 in March, March 4th. Wow. So we have been around since the Civil War. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we we started here in Berea as an orphanage. It was a very traditional orphanage. Um, we were taking, uh, you know, if a, someone had lost a life in the Civil War, um, you know, single parent households were not a thing. And, and you were an orphan and you came to an orphanage. Um, and, and from that point on, it's been very fascinating um, learning about the history of Ohio Guidestone because our leadership here, even when we were back and, and our very first name was the German Methodist Orphanage Asylum. That was our very first name. It, it has a ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, that's something. <laughs> um, 1864. So, um, yeah, it's something, right? So, but, but the really, a wonderful thing about our organization is we real, we have a history of taking a look at what we're doing and seeing if it's effective. And the very first transition from that, we had a very institutional, what you would consider to be a very traditional orphanage setting. And in the 20, very early twenties, you know, our, our leadership at that time, um, noticed that a family setting was actually more conducive to the orphans uh, and their success. So we actually went from that this one large institutional building to a cottage setting where there was a house parent, a house mom, a house dad, and it was a more family type setting. And so that was our first way of breaking the mold of, okay, this is what everyone else is doing we're noticing that it's not as effective in, in raising these children. Um, and so we're going to do something different. Uh, and, and that has just been then the trajectory of our organization where, you know, we want to create solutions. So if something is not working, then we problem solve and we find a more effective way to do it. And so uh, it's kind of cool learning about uh, the in and out of our history from 1864 up until present day, because that has been a constant. Um, sometimes it has been something that's been rattling, you know, um, from the perspective of, of the times that, that we were living in. I, uh, late, late fifties, uh, we were noticing that there were major behavioral health issues, um, associated with the orphans we were serving and we were shifting more into, a residential treatment type program with an emphasis on that on that mental health spectrum at the time that was incredibly taboo yeah. and um it, you know it was a very risky move as an organization um but one that has obviously proven to be very fruitful so um 
you know, there's so many more stories along those lines, but, but we have a lengthy, extensive history and one that has been, you know, fun to be on the ride with the last 14 some odd years. So, so you touched on, you touched on mental health a little bit earlier, um, kind of a two part question, but one, how have you seen it change in the last two years? Um, and then how have you seen it change in the last 14? Um, and that could mean a variety of things. I mean, how we talk about it, how people are more comfortable with it, but what have you seen? And, and I agree with you. I think the pandemic has been, there's been a couple different layers to the pandemic, financial, mental health, just health in general, obviously. So like, what is, what has, um, yeah, what does that look like for you guys? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I'll start with the last 14 years. You know, from from my perspective, um, what, what we've done is we've tried to remove barriers to success for those that we've served. So we become more innovative in how we do our behavioral health programming. So we offer in-home family counseling. So we come into the family home. Downtown Cleveland, uh, through our infrastructure, we actually built a pharmacy where our psychiatrists are housed. So we're breaking down barriers to obtaining medicine if that is a need. Uh, our workforce development program is right up the street from our counseling and our pharmacy. So we, you know, we've developed that like one-stop shop type of thing. Um, so that is, that's what I've noticed, I suppose, over the 14 years that I've been here is that we continue to break down barriers. So there is success. And again, there's not that bandage. It's a, it's creating a solution to the problem. And oftentimes, you know, if there's a mental health issue with one family member there, there's often um, issues within the family that can then be cross-referred within under the umbrella of one organization, um, which is, you know, again, breaking a barrier because oftentimes there are smaller organizations that do one thing exceptional, but then in other areas, maybe job skill building, you know, then there's a referring organization. So then there's, you know, number of organizations serving one, uh, individual or family and the communication when it's all housed under one umbrella of course is ideal um in that regards and that's what we call our 360 approach got it okay so, um, um to answer no no yeah keep going i was gonna say to answer question number two um which is the you know the last two years um with the pandemic so I think this is an easy and yet tough question. The pandemic surprised us all, obviously. Hello, no one expected it. Um, and there were so many unknowns, especially early on. I know, like big surprise. Yeah, yeah. no one planned this. Um, it, it, it almost took down like all the barriers to the people that thought they were together, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it hit home. It, it, it touched everyone in, in so many different ways, whether it was a fear. It is a fear of leaving one's home. Um, you know, raising children, uh, like my, my daughter started kindergarten on a computer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she missed half a pre-K. Uh, you know, 
my my other daughter's life, most of it's been a pandemic. She's three in March. So, you know, um, it's crazy. It, it, so, you know, the, 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 it is crazy. It, it truly is. And then the, the whole parenting aspect of, okay, suddenly we're all in one house together. And, you know, that dynamic um, and whatever your your household infrastructure looks like, what does that look like, you know, with everyone working and schooling under one roof. Um, so that was, I think, the start of it. And then from this point on, I don't think anyone, I mean, I don't believe any of us really truly understood or could have anticipated the weight of the pandemic. So from seeing people lose businesses who we would have never even imagined in a million years would have lost businesses. I mean, to the livelihoods even being shut down temporarily that have survived the pandemic i mean that does something to one's one's heart yeah. um you know we all struggle in different ways i mean for me you know i i was dealing with an older child that that has mental health issues you know my own anxiety was coming out and i knew i needed to ask for help and and i work for a behavioral health organization so this should be easy and like <laughs> yeah rah, rah, system bond. It's still it was still really humbling for me yeah. You know, I mean, it was humbling to ask for help, not only myself, but for my child, because then I felt like, oh, God, I felt as a mom. And, you know, and so to ask for help um, has been something that a lot of people have had to do. And then very unfortunately, we have seen an extensive rise in suicides and overdoses yeah. and, um, and and just behavioral health issues that are so um there's such a plethora of them that the, the therapist cannot keep up with the need. So even those that are uh, uh, bold enough and brave enough to ask for help that are empowered to seek it, sometimes can't get it yeah. or get it in a timely fashion. Um, the other piece of the puzzle is sometimes it's too late. You know, we're a successful human being. We have our act together, right? You know, we're not the typical person dealing with mental health issues. I am being so broad here. And then the next thing you know, there's someone that has overdosed that was too ashamed to ask for help or maybe thought they could just push on through because why would it be me? Why, why would I be the one that needs help? Um, and the suicide rate has just been astronomical, especially amongst teens. Yep. Amongst everyone, you know, um, as has the overdose rate. Um, so, you know, for me, it it has brought up the conversation of we are not talking about this enough. We're not we're not bringing this into the daily conversation, and this is something that needs to be out. It needs to be present. We need funds so that we can. Um, make sure that no one slips through our fingers. That is that is the last thing we want to do. And I'm speaking on behalf of the organization, but on behalf of the world. I mean, my goodness, like everyone has a, a life that is worth living. And whether it is sucked dry because of depression or anxiety, or someone is actually physically taking their life, or they're consumed by substance use disorder, um, or, or everything in between, we 
we need to do something about it because we all have lives that are worth living. And, and, and beyond that, we all have an individual purpose in this world where our life is completely and utterly integral um, and special and unique and individual. And so in so many different ways, um, we need to bring mental health and the conversation to the forefront. And so when I'm out advocating these days, this is the conversation I'm having. And, um, and it's nice to know that people, as you have this conversation, they're opening up and you're like, really? Wow, I had no idea you were struggling with that. Or, you know, it's allowing people to share their story because we've all just been through something that our bodies were not equipped to handle. I mean, really, you know, and so, you know, from a global health, physical health crisis, it has become equal, if not greater, a mental health crisis. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at some of the work that um, Kevin Love has done and, and other athletes, too. Um, but that alone, you know, it, it sounds sort of simple and almost like. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, Hi. so sorry. It says your it says your video has been disabled due to internet quality issues. And again, like I'll edit all this out, so it doesn't matter. But I see you. And it I says, see you, and I I hear you. Can you hear, hear me? I can still hear you. I just can't and see you, which is weird. I'm seeing the split brain, even you Steven, are? looking good. Well, um, that's so weird. Weird. Okay, so I'll redo my whole Kevin Love thing and I'll edit it. And, and <laughs> you, you you can't mess these up. It's a podcast. That's that's it's great. No, it's not, I know. You know? I love it. Um, you know, you see athletes like Kevin Love and and countless others come out and have you know whether it be campaigns or they're partnering with an organization, um, and it sounds sort of simple but really it starts with like you mentioned just having a conversation um and i and it usually takes a generation but i can tell you this like i i work with gen z all the time i coach basketball from third graders to high schoolers they're okay talking about it so gen z gets it way more than i would say even millennials and way more than you know boomers and my parents and grandparents like I mean, it, it, it was just something that they you would not talk about. And it, and I think just from a general understanding, to your point, too, like physical health, everyone's OK saying my knee hurts and going to the doctor. But people aren't OK yet saying, you know, I'm feeling a little off, whatever it is, anxiety or depression or, you know, whatever. Um, they're not quite there yet. But I do think even in the last I, I, I'm anxious to see if you agree, like 14 years Tremendous strides. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, even looking back into when we were kids, I mean, in the early eighties, you know, there was that traditional couch setting and now like I had mentioned, yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying, you know, like the traditional, this stiff office space with, you know, kind of like almost that stereotype. And as I mentioned, our organization really has is a barrier breaker. And so, so seeing the ways that we're able to provide behavioral health services in innovative ways, in ways that we reach everyone that needs it has been really encouraging and something again, that has grown and developed and, and looked a variety of different ways over the last 
14 years that I've been here and, and beyond. So let's talk about fundraising. Um, okay. Not an easy job. Um, it requires constant attention, 24 seven um, attention, whether it's events or email campaigns or, you know, whatever um, strategies you guys have. But that's what I want to ask you about. Uh, in your 14 years, how have you seen your strategy and then just fundraising as an industry um, as a whole change? Well, as I mentioned, I started as an assistant. Um, so I, I was kind of thrown so many different things. I was under the uh, both the development and the marketing. So I, I got a nice healthy taste of both. And the two really do go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, fundraising and, and the marketing awareness elements, communications piece is huge. So I like this, you know, um, this is this is part of fundraising. Um, so so I got a little I, I had a real good flavor of both, um, you know, from I guess I can really just speak to my personal journey because fundraising looks so different in whatever cause you're you're raising funds for. Um, you know, I think the level of creativity is huge. Um, you always want to be pushing the envelope. You don't want to be stale with your events. Uh, you don't want to overburden your donors. Um, new and creative ways of, of approaching companies and saying, hey, this is a marketing opportunity. What's what's your ROI? You know, because oftentimes there's a misconception like, well, of course you want to give. We're a nonprofit. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, even the most altruistic human beings, and I can think of, I'm thinking of two right now, there's still an ROI for them. They just want to talk to me. <laughs> They want to get on each each landline and chat with me, and I think that's amazing and wonderful. And and they just want to know that they're making a difference. They don't want anyone else to know they're, that they're making a difference, but they just want to hear it. Yeah. So there's that ROI, and then you go to a corporation, and, and you're looking at maybe an event sponsorship and saying, listen, this is a philanthropic contribution, but this is what you get out of it type of thing. So, so that is one thing that I learned, um, you know, I would say probably over the past six years in particular, um, as I started becoming more innovative and more self-sufficient, so to speak. So, um, but, but no matter what, it's, it, it's 95% relationship, 5% ask. So, you know, very early on, I'm turning off my heater now, by the way. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I had the heater on. Um, so, you know, as a fundraiser, your job is to ask for money. So what I assumed very early on, um, you know, and you have, you learn, you grow, you, you stumble, you pick yourself up again, and then you keep going. Um, my job is to ask for money. So that's what I got to do. And there's an, there's definitely an art to it. There's a timing for it. Um, there's a, you know, a lot of it is reading body language is again, it's 95% relationship, 5% ask. There has to be a level of trust and authenticity that comes with fundraising. And again, it goes back to believing in the cause that you're, that you're selling, you know, mm -hmm. um, and knowing how to approach a corporation is totally different than approaching, you know, a member of, uh, a different generation that, you know, it has some 
substantial wealth and just wants to make a difference as an individual, as a major gift donor, um, that looks completely different than, you know, somehow I, I, in the mix of all this, I began working with our pro athletes and their philanthropic interests as it pertains to Ohio Guidestone and, and how that looks as well. And then, you know, um, and everything in between. And, um, and it's an, you know, it's an ever changing art. Um, the one thing that I've learned is a no sometimes is a not yet. Yep. And it's okay if someone says no, it's not, you know, my job is to ask. Um, so that's number one. Number two, oftentimes I found that at least I'm learning that I don't even really need to ask sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I just need to be bringing my best self and being authentic, sharing my own personal journey, sharing about the organization and listening and listening carefully and hearing the passions and then elaborating more on that program. And from that point on, there's a natural, well, we have a foundation that provides or, you know, our corporation is looking to sponsor an organization, uh, I'm sorry, an event or, you know, wow, this is really intriguing. Let's do something during the NBA All-Star Game. This came from me complimenting a woman's coat. That's a, that's a story and a half. Um, <laughs> I talk to everybody. I mean, I'm always on the airplane talking about Ohio Guidestone, you know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was doing that this morning. I was having a coffee meeting, and I saw someone came in and said, where do you work? And he gave me his card. He's a managing director. I'm gonna be, he's soliciting. He, I'm, he's getting solicited. For <laughs> <laughs> I love but, it. I, you know, but, but that's part of it, too. Like, I'm not I'm, – I'm being myself. I'm being authentic. I believe in the cause. So it's very – it's become very natural. Some people think I'm charming. We shall see. The verdict is still out. <laughs> but um, but it's not something that necessarily. I think I have a natural. I I I had a natural tendency toward it because I am a people person. I'm an extrovert. Um, I am hard, a very hard worker, very ambitious. So I had like all the right qualities, I suppose that that make for a good fundraiser. I um, just needed to learn and grow and, and uh, like I said, fall down and pick myself right back up again. And, and I plan to continue to fall down and pick myself right back up again because that's, that's um, the very best leaders in the world do that. Mm -hmm. um, the very best um, in, in the business of any profession do that. And so I will never stop learning and growing and being okay to take a risk knowing that it might not work out exactly how I had planned, but if I put 110% into it and I know that I've, I've done everything in my power that I could have done, as I reflect on it and say, okay, well, next time I'll do this, you know? Yeah. Um, there's there's no fear anymore of that. And, and at first there was a great fear for me of being liked, um, of being perfect, and, and that... I think are well in any profession really, but I mean, in the fundraising industry, like it's authenticity, it's imperfection. It's mm -hmm. being you and creating a relationship. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of similarities between fundraising and sales. I mean, you mentioned it, right? The first no yeah. is just not yet. You're going to yeah. hear, you're going to hear from me again. No worries. You know? Um, yeah. And I yeah. also, I also think another challenge that I I've seen with nonprofits is 
they can do they can be doing the best work in the world right i mean say they could be doing anything whatever the best work in the world is and then they may just not tell their story the best way right and so that's a whole challenge it's like well the whole point of starting this was so we could do the work like we don't have time to tell our story like just trust us give us the money you know like so there's this whole hard like okay well we need to partner with another company to help tell our story or you know create and communications component comes in and we yep. have such a tremendous communications team here yep. that coincides with advancement um and we go we're one giant team yep. i mean every win we have um whether it be a dollar or a million dollars i mean it comes from our teamwork uh so many so oftentimes you know in the fundraising industry i think in any industry you know i would assume sales obviously there's a lot of competitiveness Mm -hmm. um, that was my gift or, or that was my sale or, you know, that type of thing. And for me, I've always had the team mentality. Um, you know, we operate as a team. I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and that's why we have a team. And because we have that team, we have success. Mm -hmm. If there is no team, if we're all operating on our own fruition, even if all the other things are aligned, if we're passionate, if we're well-spoken, if we're authentic, I suppose. Um, although authenticity, I think, goes hand in hand with teamwork. If we're not a part of a team and we're not respecting one another and we are out for our own gain, or I don't believe there's success in that. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why our department's been so successful is because we were a team. We're a team and we, and we lift each other up and we and celebrate each other's wins. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. Let's switch gears a little bit, but on episode eight, uh, Bashara Addison, who is now with the fund for our economic future talked about the impact of lead poisoning on Cleveland residents and specifically students, uh, in Cleveland schools. So, uh, recently city leaders announced a major investment into, uh, lead remediation that will be facilitated over the next decade or so. Uh, can you talk about uh, this topic and if you've seen the impact of it on behavioral health in Cleveland? So, no, I cannot talk eloquently on this topic. <laughs> that's, the first, that's the first answer. I'm always I'm always one to admit when I cannot. Yeah, yeah. What I can what I can tell you is, you know, the city of Cleveland is is a pretty interesting place. You go from downtown which is like happening big time. I mean, we're getting the NBA All-Star game coming in, you know, people, celebrities all over. And then you go five minutes, literally five minutes down the road and you're in one of the most under-resourced communities in the nation. And, um, you know, when, when you know, it, like, as I mentioned, I, I can't speak eloquently specifically to this lead poisoning. However, the living conditions that one is in absolutely impacts your mental health and well-being. Yeah. You know, so many of our therapists, when they go to meet in, in the family home, they're walking up, um, you know, and and there's drug paraphernalia all around. And, and you know, perhaps yeah. there was just a shooting outside side recently um, you know um, perhaps their their uh, client was just robbed um, you know or there was a domestic violence issue um, child abuse issue so all of these go hand in hand with if you don't have the basics you know a safe home to live in food yep. clothing and then on top of that 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 nurturing parenting um, your family 
really is, you know, subject to behavioral health issues, which is where the, the most under-resourced communities um, are in the most need in so many ways. And of course, the pandemic has just furthered that gap. Yeah. Um, so to answer that question in a, in a broader scope, I hope that, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, um, it does. I mean, look, it comes down to, uh, is it Maslow? Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like if, if the absolutely. bottom is not met, you're already behind. I mean, what, yeah, you can't get to the top, yeah. you know, you're already a step behind. So yeah, no, you definitely did. Um, you, you mentioned the all-star game. I want to transition to that as well. Tell us about the partnership that you formed uh, with the NBA. That's super exciting. Yeah, yeah. So um, it is not just just to clarify, just to clarify, we have a great relationship with the NBA. We've got a great relationship with the Cavs. We don't have a formal partnership with the NBA. Okay. However, we are a we're doing a major event during the NBA All-Star Game and members of the NBA get NFL and MLB are part of it. Got um, it. So, yeah, so it's it's very exciting. Um, it actually, as I mentioned, it all started um by me complimenting a woman's coat, which is a true, true, <laughs> honest to goodness story. I was actually, it was during the draft, uh, and I, I was just on um, Cribs in the Clee, which was so fun because Josh Cribs actually <laughs> is the reason, the whole reason why I met this woman. Ah. Um, because I was going to the Westin to meet Josh um, before the draft party, and I was starving, and I went to Urban Farmer, so I was like, Josh, you're the reason, you know. We all think it's the coat, but really it's Josh Cripps. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so anyway, so no, I went, I, I went down to Urban Farmer and I saw this beautiful woman in this exquisite coat. My mom is a fat, was a fashion buyer, and I'm very fashion is like, a, you know, hobby for me. And so I, I complimented her coat, and you know, I think there was some small talk, and then before you knew it, I was having lunch with her, and. Um, and then really fast forward, and uh, she's developed an entire fashion line to give back to mental health called wow. The Power of Words. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And we are the city where this line will be launched. It is all about giving back to mental health, and it truly is all about the power of words. Um, what, what one wears, so whether it's resilient, brave, warrior, um, you know, in the, the authenticity, the list goes on and on. Um, this is breaking down a stigma because, um, you know, it's where mental health and fashion meet. Yep. So it's very, very cool. And, um, something I never, ever anticipated. And some, sometimes in, in the heat of the battle, we joke, <laughs> Oh boy, that coat, nice coat. Wow. You got me into that. Like, Whoever would have imagined, I never, I, I, I could never have anticipated this. However, we are doing a full runway show um, wow. with the VIP invite only. Um, we have, you know, members of the NBA, MLB and NFL involved, as well as other celebrities. Um, and it's going to be raising funds exclusively for Ohio Guidestones mental health programming. Wow. But Moreover, it's creating a platform for mental health awareness on a national and international. Um, it's starting the conversation nationally and internationally. And from that point on, the power of words is going to just, you know, hit the ground running. So we are honored and blessed to be the first recipient of the funding. Um, honored and blessed to be the city where this this um, partnership um, is unveiled. And 
so blessed by the by the support of so many um, athletes and um, other celebrities that have come on board. And so it's really, really exciting. And at the end of the day, it will be a life changing and life saving event. Very, that. very powerful. Um, so yeah, it, I'm excited. It, I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for the city of yeah. Cleveland. Um, I don't know if there's actually, I'm not even going to say, I don't know. I know that there is not a more passionate city about their sports in Cleveland. No. It's just a fact. Yeah. Um, down. Yeah. yeah, you know, for better or for worse, they are the most passionate fans I think I've ever been around. Um, so actually, uh, I'm excited about this answer. I'm, I'm going to try and come up for the all-star game. So I hope I get the opportunity to, uh, to meet you in person. Um, but we always end on this. We'll get you out of here on this. This episode has been fantastic. Um, what is, what is your favorite, uh, place to eat? It could be breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee shop, whatever you want. Uh, your, your favorite spot in Cleveland. I was, I was good. That's a great question. But I was like, this last question involves food. Yes. I, I just know it does. Yep. Um, oh my gosh, my favorite place in Cleveland. I feel like I may offend so many people <laughs> because I love so many places. You can't you can't <laughs> offend anybody. I You're good. I have so many great relationships too. Um uh, that I just oh I know my answer is not gonna be right no matter what. It I won't. have so many favorites. Can I tell you? You can tell um, a couple. You can do whatever you want. Why don't I why don't I throw out some love to a couple? Yeah. Um I will, t I will say the vault, um, at the nine, okay. the nine, by the way, has been extraordinarily generous. They have donated their billboard to us. Nice. Um, yes. So we have a whole month of billboards for the power of words That's for this great. collaboration, which is amazing, but the vault is so cool. I love history and, um, and, uh, it's just, I think it's such a cool place. Um, Marble Room is amazing. Uh, Bar Thirty Two with a view. Um, but then I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a shout out to some of our great supporters: Colossal Cupcakes, Kelly Kanda. Nice. Um, I uh, my girls love a good cupcake, and they love the love the atmosphere. It's very girly and pink and beautiful. <laughs> um, Rising Star Coffee, is my favorite coffee place, and anything Dante does. Yeah. So, all right. That's a good, that's a good list. Um, all right. So uh, last thing I promise, where can everybody uh, find you guys, learn more about you, donate, uh, all, all that good stuff? Excellent question. So uh, we are at Ohio Guidestone on social media. So that's Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please follow us. Um, it, we have a great text to give. So uh, if you text 50155 and you text the word Ohio Guidestone, you'll be donating a prompt to donate to us, or you can visit our website, www.ohioguidestone.org and go to donate now, big old button right there in the right, and uh, you'll be prompted to donate. Now I will say this, and I truly, truly mean it, every single dollar is a life changer. There are so many people out there that say, hey, I can't give a thousand or $5,000, you give a dollar, that is a life that has changed. And I, and I, and I truly, truly mean that. That's something that I teach my kids. Yep. So, um, so I thank you in advance for your contributions and for your support of Ohio Guidestone and the work that we're doing. And, um, and you know, my, I'm available to answer any questions. Uh, so you're welcome to share my, my information as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on and 
uh, obviously sharing your, your personal journey and experience, and then obviously all of your great work you're doing at Ohio Guidestone. And uh, I hope to see you in a couple weeks, um, you know, up at the All-Star Game. And, uh, yeah, thank you again. We'll have you on again for sure. Um, but, yeah, best, best of luck with everything this year. I know those events are crazy stressful, so uh, I'm rooting for you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on here. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Thank you. Talk with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.